This is URN Sport. And it's lights out and away we go! This is amazing! Senna goes off at the first corner! Oh my goodness, this is fantastic! It's Schumacher! It's Schumacher! By my calculations, we win the championship by one point. Seven-time champion of the world. And it's going Dutch in 2021. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to Fresh Out of the Pits. That was the chain uh, that was seeing us into the show. And another song just died, which I will exit there. Um, it's just me today from our usual panel. Matt and Luke are not here, but never fear. We have a astute line of colleagues of mine at URN to fill in for those Muppets. So we have Toby, Charlotte, Danush, and we will be joined by Ali in a couple of minutes. Uh, how are we all doing? How are you doing, Toby? Yeah, not bad. A bit hot. Just played a squash match. You win? Um, I did win, but sweating buckets right now and then you ran over to the studio exactly. to be on time brilliant charlotte how are you doing i'm very good thank you you talked a little bit about f1 on the friday show but yeah. uh, but good to get on fresh out of the pits yeah. and danush finally how are you doing yeah i'm good uh excited to talk about what was arguably a boring race but there were a few good points exactly so that's what we're going to be talking about uh this week it's going to be a mexico review um and as danush said it was uh, arguably uh, a boring race disappointing race to an extent, but there were some some decent parts. So, I think we should just sort of go go through how it played out, really. Uh, Toby, so just take us through the start. Uh, what happened, sort of after the first lap? Um, first few laps, yeah. yeah. So Verstappen managed to uh, well, take the lead, I guess, re- retain the lead, um, and Hamilton managed to just about nip past teammate Russell at the start with a little bit of argy bargy. Um, but Verstappen sort of then started to run away with it quite convincingly throughout did, the, yeah. the race and some possible odd strategy choices which I'm sure we're onto from Mercedes which didn't necessarily help there. No, exactly. I think out. I think one thing that really did aid Red Bull and, and diminish uh, uh, Mercedes to an extent was Perez getting past Russell in yeah. that first lap so, because uh, yeah. they have a lot more pace than Mercedes um, in a straight line. So if Russell was able to hold him back for a little bit, then that would have helped um, a lot. Um, and then, yeah, it sort of just played out for a while until they had to come in for the pits. But there was differing strategies between Mercedes and Red Bull, Charlotte, yeah. um, with Red Bull starting on the softs and Mercedes on the mediums. Do you know? Do you think why Mercedes, why Red Bull might have offered for to go for the softs first up? Well, to start with, I think... Well, they said on commentary that it looked like Red Bull were going to do a two-stop. Mm. So most likely soft, medium, medium, but they could have done soft, medium, soft so that they get the faster laps at the end. But then the tyres just didn't degrade. They just stayed for Red Bull as mediums and it worked perfectly for them. Whereas I think Mercedes were always going to look at the one stop to try and keep that advantage, in air quotes, over Red Bull because they were probably going to have to stop again and it just didn't happen for them. Do you think that the way that Red Bull were the Red Bull drivers were able to keep those mediums in in nick and in a good pace is that down to the tire wear for the day or down to those two drivers? I think it's the drivers because Perez kept soft a couple of years ago. He had softs that lasted like it, a yeah. lot a, la- a large amount of laps. Yeah. So I think it's most likely the drivers that yeah. are good at when maintaining the. When Hamilton, apparently this is a quote from one of the guys at Sky was saying that when Hamilton saw um, the like the tire blankets come off the Red Bulls and saw the both were softs, he was a bit like, oh, and <laughs> yeah. re- they realised yeah. at yeah. that moment that they should have at least tried to match or one of uh, or that and that they would really struggle with the lack of de- yeah. degradation that seemed yeah. to occur, particularly with the the high altitude. I think really helps that because there's far less downforce throughout the whole track, no yeah. matter what setting you put the car on. Exactly. So yeah. as we say, it got to lap. 25, uh, Verstappen came into the pits as Ali Gang comes into the studio to join us. Hello, Ali. Uh, how, how are you doing today, Ali? Uh, I'm doing very well, thank you, Archie. Uh, sorry for my lateness. That's all right. Cheeky rush into the studio. Never mind. Uh, yeah, so Verstappen pits uh, lap 26, and the commentators go, oh, Mercedes is going to hang him out for a little bit, keep Hamilton out there. It was only four laps until he came in and went onto the hards. Danush, what did you, from that point, what were you sort of thinking might happen for, for the rest of the race? Um, I think 
it was at that moment that Mercedes knew they messed up. Um, I mean, there were complaints from drivers all Saturday um, and bit of Friday where they couldn't find any grip at all and the hards are the tyres with the least grip. So it was quite weird to see them um, go on the hards, especially when they, apparently they took data from Nicholas Latifi. <laughs> yeah. Always helps. <laughs> Which I found was really, really weird because Latifi is the last person you want to take an example of. Um, and they decided to go on the hards. But they were complaining throughout the whole race, really. They and were. And I mean, especially at the end, yeah. where um, George Russell was like, OK, we need to pit, we need to pit. I was, it was at that point where he was, he was deciding the strategy of Mercedes. But there was no way that they couldn't have gone for the hearts, which is, which, so, which is as you say, Toby, they kind of shot themselves yeah. in the foot straight up. I think up. the one option they might have done, which, which is what Danny Ricks did and did really well, was go mediums really long at the beginning, literally as long as they probably went hards at the end, just absolutely lay it all out on the line and then go softs right at the end. Or even, which I'm sure George w- almost would have preferred, is like medium, medium, softs or something like that. Mm. And then risking, a, risking something, yeah. Because I think it felt really odd that they knew that Red Bull were going to go for a one-stop because they managed to eke out the length of the soft tyres so so well. Um, and then Russell came in earlier than I think everyone expected him to. Everyone kind of thought he'd stay out and try and almost do like the anti-Red Bull and go mediums to soft. Yeah. And they brought him in and put him for hards and it was a bit of, a, of an odd one because you thought the only chance to have of getting a win here would have been to change something up, try and hope maybe to go on to eke out the mediums, maybe a safety car or something would come out and give yeah. him a cheap pit stop or or um, or late on like a red flag or something major happening. But they just played it too safe, I think just hoping that the Red Bull tyres would just explode. But then you had Hamilton covering for that, which mm. was a bit of an odd one. The so. problem was they were sort of the scapegoats, weren't mm. they? Because they didn't know how long the mediums could last. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas Red Bull chucked them on and went, oh, just do 45 laps. Yeah. And if we need to stop again, then we can if needed. But realistically, we'll just go straight to the end and, and it, it worked perfectly for them so uh the end of the race Verstappen won again <laughs> his 14th of the season uh just sort of Ali just describe Verstappen's driving at the moment he's probably in the form of his career so far yeah, where do you begin exactly. I mean he's obviously aided by what is quite clearly the fastest car but with that in mind nobody nobody can match him at the moment Hamilton uh, was doing what he could with that tyre but couldn't switch on the hards and as Toby was saying and Verstappen just absolutely had like there were times where you maybe thought maybe when Russell went w- was considering going long and then didn't mm. that you, he might have a challenge but it from like 90% of the race it just felt like Verstappen had everybody under his thumb in the way that he has for not the whole season because at the start Ferrari did look like a very viable contender, but in the, especially in the last five to ten races where he's just looked completely unmatched. The thing is, once you, he sets up on pole, you sort of think there's there's a good chance that he's going to finish this race in front uh, in first place. So if it was the other way around and perhaps Russell or Hamilton were starting on pole, I think it could have been a more interesting race. I think it would have been as well because I reckon they might have put them on softs if someone was at the front, and that's why I'm yeah. a bit surprised he didn't with one of Russell or Hamilton, mm. put them on softs to try and get them a flyer off the line and really push Verstappen hard and then maybe either the two-stop or the one-stop, depending on what it could have been. But I think they just they didn't gamble like they almost should have done with at least one of the drivers. I think the problem was Russell out-qualified Hamilton. Yeah. And obviously Hamilton's the senior driver generally, so he always will want his preferential tyres. And Russell, who you'd think could be the one you might put on something else, because he started, he qualified higher than, than Hamilton, he was like, well, no, I'm on the front of the grid here. I want preferential as well. So they mm. ended up both on the same strategy, which is a bit of a shame. And I think if the rumours are true that Hamilton's over the season carrying a lot more weight and sort of a lot more like data boxes to try and gauge how the Mercedes car is going, and he's been taking like hits, sort of like, well, a heavier car in particular yeah. mm. then he also particularly at the end of the season wants to finish strong and wants to prove that he can outdo his teammate which he has done over the last probably what five six races um, so it would make sense for him to want the preferential one whereas I think generally he maybe should have gone onto the softs and, and gambled but it's a shame does it accentuate the change in the rules where you can choose what you uh, racing. Yeah, I I really liked you how like the top it. ten had to qualify oh. on their FP two yeah. tires. I think. Uh, sorry, um, quality tire, quality two tires. I thought it was really interesting because it meant you almost you could as a team if you wanted to start on mediums you could gamble 
and put someone on, on mediums out there for their first lap, and if they absolutely lit up and were brilliant, then they're going to have a, an advantage in the race. And if they go on with the softs, then it doesn't really matter as much because everyone else will likely be on softs, particularly mm. the lower downsides who are just trying to get through onto into the Q3. So I, I really liked it personally. I don't know what everyone else yeah. thought. Can I offer my counterpoint? Go for it, go for it, Ali. Um, so a couple of things about that. I really... I, I mean, I see, I see the merits and I do take your points, but um, especially for the lower <coughs> half of the top 10, there were times where it served better to do worse in qualifying, which seemed completely backwards and completely illogical to me because they had to use use tyres and were also hamstrung that they couldn't make those decisions because they were very, very, very likely using soft tyres to get into Q3, which are quite often not the optimal race tyre, especially when they're used. And mm. also... A lot of the time, um, it, the only time there was any, sh uh, you know, strategy deviation in the top half, like we saw in this race, um, to be fair, like, admittedly, it didn't explode in the way we hoped it did, but there was at least potential intrigue with the who's going to start on soft, who's going to start on mediums. And the only way that would do, because all of the top three teams try used to try and start on mediums. And the only way that that wouldn't happen is if someone messed up their first Q2 lap and, and just didn't go out. Yeah. But I think more often than not, everyone got it and it made for quite a one uh, linear race where everyone was on the same strategy. And then the guys in the bottom half of the top 10 were completely screwed by a good qualifying performance. Does that not, not, not add extra strategy yeah. on top before the actual bit. race? I think as well with the... As you mentioned there, the no one, no driver is really gonna not try and get into Q3 just because they want like because the only benefit you get is if you're gonna finish if you start P11 rather than P10. It's probably the only maybe P12 and P9, but I'd say like otherwise to try and gamble that you just miss out on the top ten, uh, but don't come P15. I'm say. not saying that anyone ever intended to do that. I'm just saying a lot of the time it worked out as a. But then it helps the the lower down teams who are less likely to get into, like because it's it's very rare that anyone outside the top five teams. There's always maybe one or two, but that easily qualify and get and get through. And it'll happen one like once a race, one driver will. But then they starting higher up the grid. They're in a better position. They're less likely to get caught up in any accidents further back. Maybe. I think um, there's enough variables in F1 to not need that to that sort of levelling of the playing field. And especially in the midfield where it's so tight from about 4th to 7th, 8th, ninth, It's not... It, it's. I don't think it should be that system because it, it just... There's such a lottery to get into the top 10 that when they're that p closely packed together, it just serves... It can serve as a disadvantage. Yeah. But now everyone is just on the same, almost every time on the same kind of strategy. Like you'll occasionally get one or two starting on softs um, because they want to try and get faster away or whatever it might be. But generally everyone is kind of following the same kind of strategy I, throughout the race. I'm not sure I agree And then that. it's the lower down teams who are changing strategy as they would have done anyway because they have to try and do something to like, like Albon in Australia mm. say, where he went, was it mediums or hards, the whole race and then pitted final lap. I mean, the one great thing that I think makes me disagree with that point is the fact the way that they readjusted the tires for this year to be far less you know just put someone out for however many laps that sometimes two stops are more viable because the tires with the with the changing of the rims the 18 inch tires those sorts of things that changed it so sometimes a two stop was more viable whereas from about a period of about 2017 to 2019 2020 it was just a complete who can hang their tyres out the longest, and that made for a lot of boring races. So I think because of that change, it lost the necessity for the change, uh, for the quality uh, discrepancy. Yeah, I guess. I think it's hard to tell as well, because there's obviously huge regulation changes as well. So maybe maybe that if they had kept the same thing, it would have been far less interesting than it has been this year, because it has been a very good season, I'd say, overall. You think? Okay, so we've got someone, Toby likes it, Ali doesn't like it. We'll throw it over to Danush. What do you think about the the whole having being able to choose whatever tie you start the race on? Um... I mean, do you think it changes the strategy at all? Changes the, the of course it excitement does. It does. Of, of course race? it does, and it makes for good viewing. Uh, but Ali and uh, Toby do make really, really good points, um, and 
which one as you can side with. As long as it's fun for the viewers, I don't mind. Okay, <laughs> good for the viewers. And Charlotte, have you got any opinion? Uh, I think I'm with Toby on this one. I did like the fact that that was the tyre. Yeah, okay. That was the choice. You made that choice. There is start on that tyre. There's so much like waste and, and well, unhealthy environmental things within F1 that like actually reusing tyres, they had less tyre options as it was. I think just minor things like that, although it might seem small, just little things that they can try to do to help. Yeah, but they I would still bring that. That isn't a valid point because they still bring the same number of tyres, regardless of what tyres they actually use. But they're week. they're reusing more, I'd say. Because it's, it's, it might only be like one set of tyres every race, but then over twenty cars over what twenty races in a season, that's going to sum up pretty quickly. And the thing is, quality is now sort of more set because yeah. everyone's on the softs, so it is just the fastest car, which you could say. It's fine, that's that's yeah. fair enough, but actually, if you wanted to make it a little bit more exciting and you'll get different pole sitters each year and you'll get yeah. people who actually want to do softs because it makes them quick or mediums because they want to let go longer in the race. Yeah. Do people do put on mediums in Q2 still so that they have more soft tyres? Generally only free. for the first lap. For the stints, Whereas see how they work. Originally, like, I guess teams were putting out but both first and possibly second as well, depending on how that first lap went. Or they'd maybe go out on first and then the second lap, they might go in softs, yeah, but then the abort a lap bad, and, yeah. and use them again exactly. later on, depending on how it worked. Yeah, yeah. true. We've had a lot of tyre chats, <laughs> so, so we're going to move back to the race. Uh, really good. It's been <laughs> really good. Uh, the One team out of the top three we haven't talked about is Ferrari. Now, they had a bit of a quiet day at the office. Some would say that actually they didn't have a very good day. Uh, what, do, what do our panel think? Uh, I'm going to go to Danush first, because you were saying before the show that you thought that Ferrari had had a pretty pretty shocking Sunday. It was shocking. I mean, shocking Saturday and Sunday. They didn't, they ha- they didn't have any pace the whole race um, weekend, and it was pretty disappointing to see. But they, they qualified... Fifth and seventh, uh, with Bottas splitting them down the middle. Now, yeah, I think that Leclerc had a pretty average weekend, but they did finish fifth and sixth, so it's not not an improvement. But not compared to where they've been finishing for the rest of the season, considering they went one and two in the first race, I think. Um, And like they've gone downhill massively. Now they're finishing five, six, and they're arguably the third best, third fastest car on the grid. Is that depending? I don't know. It's is that to do with Mercedes? Innovation and improvement to the Very car. Very possibly, yeah, and it's yeah. it's possibly also talking to the fact that Re- that Ferrari haven't necessarily managed to keep up with how Red Bull in particular, and, and I guess Ferrari, um, they're in. Uh, sorry, Mercedes, uh, their innovation throughout the season, and and a lot of their team. Um, like strategies, I guess. Well, that was the problem, I think, with this race, that it became a little more mundane because it was only two teams yeah, at the top. I agree. Like, we've had races before where all three of them are there. Yeah. In fact, the race, what, in, in Cota, yeah. it was Red Bull first, Mercedes second, Ferrari third. Brilliant. That's amazing mm. for the viewing. This was just two Red well, Red, Red Bull, Mercedes, Red Bull, Mercedes, and then the Ferraris were well behind. Mm. And actually, it wasn't strategies this weekend. I um, think it's funny because... At Cota, Circuit of the Americas, um, Leclerc got a 10-place grid penalty um, because he had to fit something to his entire combustion engine, so ICE, um, which affected uh, one of the turbochargers somehow. And uh, because of the engine um, regulations, um, he got a 10-place grid penalty. So they essentially improved the engine. And then went on to be really, really slow. Mm. At but Koto did finish third in the race. So even though he had 10 place good penalty, he still finished third. Which is a really good showing, yeah. He, he had a really make, good race. I he made that. up a lot of places, yeah. to be fair. Uh, th- I think the safety car helped him a little bit, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah quite it well often well. does, yeah, though. Probably, just yeah. luck of the draw. Yeah, but he, he raced really well. And this week, he just was he was a shell of the race that he has been throughout the season. And I think actually science raced better than him. Um, for both days yeah, because yeah. Um, yeah. he out-qualified him and then actually kept his position yeah. uh, so where can we can they do you think they're not going to really offer too much for the next couple of ra- for the final two races I think they'll be back in it you think that yeah, they, yeah. They're, it's one off race everyone has an off race I think probably something they did to the car they put more downforce in to try and counter the high altitude or something I don't know exactly what they might have done they mm-hmm. also had some form of engine gremlin especially yeah. in qualifying related to the high altitude um, yeah. so there's I'm just reading this thing off of Autosport which um, has rivals suspecting that they detuned the power unit searching for reliability so they basically turned the engine down <laughs> to make sure they got some points rather than 
um, throw away a five yeah. and six. Yeah. That's the thing, because the, the constructors now is getting very interesting. I mean, they still have, what, a 40, 40 point exactly lead ahead of Mercedes. Yeah. But say they hadn't finished, the like both of their engines had blown up in that last race, that would easily have halved to, what, 20, maybe even, even closer. And the only way Mercedes really will be able to, to leapfrog Ferrari is either A, winning some races, and uh, maybe getting a one-two something that would make it really tight, or more likely Ferrari's engine struggling or Ferrari crashing out, um, or finishing with that outside the points, whatever it might be, and Mercedes just getting some more solids P two, P three, P four, so P five. Would finishes. we say that by and large, uh, without any major mishaps for Ferrari, they've probably got second. You think so? And unless Hamilton or Russell can pull out some absolute worldies and finish, consist both of them finishing on the podium probably winning some races in the yeah. next both both of the next races I'd you, say. you never know it, it's happened before but it looks unlikely and actually that's a bit of a fall from grace for mercedes to be fair from third last year to now uh, sorry first last year to third this year with ferrari now um jumping off a place is a is a bit of a is a bit of a letdown so um so yeah well hopefully they come back next week uh, oh sorry in two weeks at uh, in brazil because they always like brazil um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna fable this question out the fable question is is Hamilton gonna win a race this year? I hope, but I don't think so. Brazil is his only chance. Abu Dhabi, I cannot see him. Why can't you see Abu Dhabi? Un- unless unless Red Bull screw up, basically, I don't think Mercedes really have a chance of particularly that kind of circuit. Like the way that it'll be. Well, it's fairly wind, uh, fairly straight, I guess, which Reb, uh, Mercedes often struggle down, That's what down I the, the long straights. For Abu Dhabi, um, yeah. that I think that may, they really need like what slow corners, I think it is, yeah. that favour them, yeah. and there aren't it many. Has a lot of Abu Dhabi, especially since the changes, yeah. has far fewer slow corners, a lot of medium speed sort mm. of long winding yeah. corners, like three, and then the hep, the, hep the hep at the end, yeah. yeah. They're not, yeah, they're not tight in and out hairpins they're the still loop, they looping yeah exactly but I still think Max will be too good and, and the, the Red Bull car even through slow corners is still better, not better than Mercedes but at least good enough that I think that Max will be able to likely win it unless someone goes into him at it, the first corner or something like that happens it has been one hell of a car this season exactly. it's been super quick um, and it's always, as we say it's leading to, uh, to slightly less entertaining races but luckily for us at the end there was one Australian who did uh, <laughs> light it up a little bit so in fact 20 laps before the end of the race he had a bit of a mishap a bit of a tangling with Yuki Tsunoda um, what what did everyone make of that? So so Ricardo was on the inside and sort of ran into Sonoda, who was trying to cut the corner quite fine. Uh, Charlotte, who did you think was at fault for for that incident? I think Ricardo was at fault, but I don't think it was a ten second penalty. Okay. I think ten seconds was maybe a little bit harsh. I think the thing is, it depends on circumstances. I mean, you've got two race directors who are absolute nerds at race directing. One race directed... (laughs) (laughs) No, um, one race directed the um, World Endurance Championship and the other one did something in Germany. Um, And I think they based... Because um, I was was listening to WTF1 podcast and they were comparing... um, uh, I think it was another one. Anyway, so they were comparing the five-second penalty that George Russell received when he went into the back of... Uh, Carlos Sainz. Yeah. Um, and they were like, okay, why didn't jo- um, Daniel Ricciardo get a five-second penalty? Yeah. But that's because the race directors looked at George Russell's and went, okay, it's the start of the race. Uh, obviously, it will be quite packed. Yeah, that's um, true. And so we can give some leeway. Yeah. But with Daniel Ricciardo, it was like, um, there was a lot of space behind him and a lot, lot of space in front of Yuki Tsunoda. Um, and... Yuki Tsunoda actually did take the racing line. He did, and, yeah. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo saw a little bit of a gap and then Yuki Tsunoda closed it down and it was too late for Daniel Ricciardo. I'd like to add to that that the corner at which uh, Ricciardo tried to pass Tsunoda is really not a realistic overtaking. Well, no, uh, to quote it's Martin really Brundle, it was slow, a day late yeah. and a dollar short. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. just... It's the middle, it, middle of like a chicane almost. It, it was, was an odd So one. it's that really weird section... Um, sort of beginning of turn two where you've got these like 
four or five really slow speed corners in a row yeah. sort of really square corners yeah. and there's only like the most tiny of straights beforehand and it just was it it was completely unrealistic for Ricardo to expect to be able to dive bomb Sonoda into there and mm. he wasn't alongside adequately enough um for Sonoda to have to leave him room so it was um, it was it was the right call in my opinion for the ten seconds. Um, obviously, that isn't true for like that's that's a matter of opinion. But ultimately, it didn't matter because after all of that, Ricardo probably put in his best drive of the season. After he that did, game. yeah. Eleven did. seconds clear of Ocon, didn't he? So yeah. he didn't even suffer anything with a ten second penalty because he finished eleven seconds clear of Ocon. Yeah. I he think was that was him. that was the most exciting bit of the race, wasn't it? The last five laps of Ricardo. It really was. Like, yeah. Nothing else within the race was that interesting. Everyone had... Well, I mean, even Verstappen had... What, a le- quite 12 a, seconds, 12 yeah. seconds well, It might have even been more. It might have yeah. been 15. It, yeah, it's Long 15. Ahead. Finished 15 oh, yeah. seconds in front. I'm going I'm to say this... I don't think Mexico is a good race. To be fair, I agree. I don't think it's a good track. I think it's got brilliant culture around it. The the draw it com- that brings for the Mexican fans and obviously Perez being on the grid yeah. accentuates that massively. But it's never a good race. Like last year, it was okay down the first corner, and then apart from that, it was pretty much just strategy. This year, same again. It was I think a lot of it. They're almost they're making particularly the stadium section. They're making these sort of the circuit around where they can put fans in really tight and pack yeah. it out and almost get it feeling like a football stadium where you've got yeah. 20,000 fans all crammed in, cheering on as Perez and, and Hamilton and Verstappen all fly past. The problem is, though, in the stadium section, because um, the stadium is so tight to the track, they have to have a really low-speed corner. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. this could be so easily just danger of someone flying off and yeah. into the crowd yeah. and, and anything like that. Like, I mean, was it the Guan Yuzhou crash at Silverstone he absolutely flew into the barrier I was yeah. at Silverstone I want no I wasn't at that corner but just the whole crowd where we yeah. were because it was all like standing mm. he goes off on that first corner and everyone's like <gasps> yeah because we've seen it on the big screen like people are watching at home but it's like happened to well yeah. more than 200 meters away but round like corner, round yeah. corner and it was it was like it's the worst exactly. I've seen. And I mean, if you had had, he even then I think flew up a little bit onto the barriers. Oh yeah, he did. oh but yeah, then, massively. But if yeah. if the state if the stands were two hundred yards closer, like they are, well, probably even more than two hundred yards closer, like they are at uh, Mexico. Who knows what would have happened? He could have easily gone into the crowds, landed on God knows how many people, and it caused yeah. serious damage. So then they obviously have to slow down for that corner, and there is almost I cannot think of a time there's ever been an overtake around that corner, even though. It, it's right where all the fans are, and that should almost be where the where it happen. should be. Yeah, yeah. There, there are not that many overtaking points across not the track because, as, as you say, they're all s- slow speed so corners, yeah. and he, as Ricardo showed, we can't really Get overtake on no. slow speed corners. I mean, as I think going back to that Ricardo thing, we've obviously gone off now, but I think he was quoted saying he wasn't actually trying to overtake Sonoda; he was just trying to get almost alongside, like, well, kind of alongside so that round the next corner he gets hopefully better exit. Good exit. Um, being down the inside and could almost squeeze his way past Sonoda and, and get him down the following straight, I guess. Mm. Um, we will definitely come back to talk about Ricardo when we uh, we talk about our drive of the day. But I'm just going to run through the top 10 just for, for anyone that needs uh, reminding. So obviously Verstappen was number one with Hamilton second and Perez third making up the podium. Then Russell came in fourth with Sainz, Leclerc and Ricardo. And then Ocon, Norris and Bottas making up the top 10. So Bottas, a bit of a fall from 6th to 10th. Uh, we may be uh, talking about him a little bit later in our other segments. Uh, but for the minute, we're going to have a song break. And it's not quite Friday, it's just Thursday evening. But we are going to have The Cure with Friday I'm In Love. The Cure with Friday I'm in Love on URN 1350. It's 6.36 and this is Fresh Out the Pits, our F1 show on URN. And this week we're talking about the Mexican Grand Prix. Now we're going to come on to a segment that has been on the show uh, ever since its creation. uh, The Driver of the Day Award. So our panel here will pick a driver that they think drove very well and and was the best driver on the grid this week. So we're going to start with Toby. What what is your shout for driver of the day? Well, I feel like everyone will end up having the same driver of the day. I assume Danny Rick is going to be picked most. Yeah, I think he might. Um, I think he might. So I think I'm just going to stick with everyone else and I'm going to go with Danny Rick as well. I thought he just performed so well. Definitely 
his best race of the season, possibly one of his best races for McLaren, other than what Monza last year yeah. and a couple other decent performances. But I just think no one else really put much into it. Like a lot of people lost places or well, or had engine problems, crashed out, but no one really went and just overtook everyone and, and got the race to a half decent level, other than Danny Rickard. So yeah, um, that, that's a fair point, Ali. What do you think? Um, so mine would be Ricardo or Verstappen, who I think are the two obvious yeah, choices. So, but so. to throw an alternative name out into the mix, he didn't actually finish the race very sadly. <laughs> but I think that Fernando Alonso um, w- had a very, very good race up until the point where the car stopped working, as it has quite frequently, as he was quick to point out on the radio. Mm. But he's the he was the driver who was most in control of that midfield battle. Um, I think Ricardo passed him and then he retired. So for um, Ferrari, McLaren got their strategy right and Danny Rick managed to turn on those tyres. But up until that point and throughout the whole weekend, um, it was Fernando Alonso, admittedly in qualifying with uh, Valtteri Bottas as well, but it was him right up there. It was one of those weekends where you thought that Alpine might get another grip on that uh, fourth playoff between McLaren and Alpine. But then, it's yeah, but now uh, Alonso's out and Ricardo finishes ahead of Ocon, even with that 10 second penalty. And actually, McLaren can catch them in the next couple of races. Uh, so, Charlotte, who do you think uh, should be driver of the day? Well, I do think it should be Danny Rick, but I'm going to throw another name in there as well. Pierre Gasly. Oh, OK. So, he finished 11th, qualified 14th, somewhere like that, but he had a five-second penalty as well, mm-hmm. which he served. So, he came out very close to the bottom, yeah. and he still managed to finish 11th. He did. get that for it was uh, uh, pushed Lance Stroll it or was, Sebastian yeah. Vettel. I can't he, remember which one. He oh, pushed Lance Stroll off. Yeah, yeah. the the stewards have been going at Gasly recently. They it's, have, yeah. That it's was all, his fault, though. Yeah, no, but as in like some of the stuff around, like seeming to be like there seems to be pretty much nothing, and they're giving him massive penalties yeah. and penalty points, more almost more importantly. Um, I mean, I think it's only two more penalty points he needs before he might have to miss, miss a, race. a race so really? I, I think it's WTF1 as well mm. um, we're joking about how in the, one of the next two races he will just go into the side of someone just for the fun of it because then he will know, <laughs> then he will know like, if he does it in the next race then he'll miss Abu Dhabi which yeah. he doesn't really care about because he, he won't be at Alpine next year and then he'll have a clean slate to go on um, yeah, when he really right. joins Alpine uh, yeah Alpine yeah so he needs to really probably going into Alonso would be quite good for him yeah why not <laughs> they're both changing both changing teams um, next year so Danush are you going to throw a different name into the ring for Drive of the Day I'm going to throw uh, possibly the most entertaining driver out there um, Yuki Tsunoda <laughs> <laughs> um, after his crash with Daniel Ricciardo he came into the pits and uh, he <coughs> They, they took him into the garage um, and he said a very Yuki Tsunoda uh, quote which might just become my catchphrase um, so this was a clip of Yuki Tsunoda calling Daniel Ricciardo a rookie guy which can't be more ironic he's one of the longest serving drivers on the grid isn't he yeah yeah, yeah I mean he's he uh, acted a little bit like a rookie in that um, in that collision but then afterwards I think probably uh, drove a bit more maturely um, I'd say so so yeah for that comment he can be uh, your driver of the day I'm going to chuck in uh, which pains me to, to throw into the bag and, and to say out loud but Max Verstappen I think uh, was deservedly my driver of the day because uh, I mean he didn't put a foot wrong and we know that by now that he's just going to saunter off from the start and uh, and gallop away and he's going to be nigh on impossible to beat. So, um, yeah, I think we've done all right there, trying to, to scrape the barrel from a pretty mundane race to try and find a drive of the day. Now, another f- feature we have on our show is the Latifi Award, which was actually coined the Mazepin Award last year. <laughs> Who will it be next? Uh, exactly, so we've got to think of someone next year. We were thinking perhaps Lance Stroll, but I mean, he's, he's pulled out a couple of good performances. So the uh, the idea of this is that we 
pick a moment or a driver that uh, just had a, a bad day at the office, a bit of a tangle or uh, just dropped some places on qualifying. So, uh, so hopefully you guys have all got one. Um, should we start the other way? Danush, have you got any anything, any moment, any driver that uh, didn't really have a, a good outing this, this Sunday? Um, it's not going to be a driver. Okay. Does it have to be a driver? No, it's 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 a, an award, so it can be it can be for anything that happened during the race. Okay, um, it's going to have to go to the Mercedes strategy team. Okay. Because how are you going to look at the TV and decide to use hards? It's yeah, it, it boggles me. I mean, that's uh, worthy of the name, the Latifi Award, having looked at <laughs> Latifi's uh, hard tyre strategy. Yeah, I don't know why they... We've already debated it a little bit, um, but, uh, yeah, it beats me why they thought the Haas were, were going to work after looking at Latifi's data. Mm, so that's yeah. fair enough. Charlotte, what do you think? Uh, Valtteri Bottas, I think. I think, okay. well, he did have a very, very good qualifying mm. for the Alfa Romeo. Very harsh. <laughs> But I then an honourable mention agree. goes to uh, Perez's pit stop team for yes. failing to get the rear wheel off. That's, yeah. a, that's a good one. Yeah. I think back on the, the Bottas bit, I mean, is that... He, he lost... He, lost he started places. place six, um, yeah. finished in P10, and most of that was just due to much a lack of aggression, but he didn't really fancy racing wheel no. to wheel it looked like and no. that's never been a strong point and it's quite unqualifying there always has there was a has. couple of overtakes where he looked like he wasn't defending exactly. he just let them pass like almost like it was team obviously mm. it wasn't team orders but it looked like he was getting team orders to be like let Ricardo yeah. pass I yeah. think it's either that or he just didn't have confidence in the car I think it's probably a bit of a mix because yeah. that's the first point since probably what, one of the first first five or six races that Alfa Romeo have got points in yeah and it's not like the I, I I think that's really harsh as I said because it's not like I Bottas outperformed the car in qualifying I think the fact that it didn't have the race pace and obviously over how long was the race uh, 60 70 laps somewhere in between that it's unlikely that you're gonna maintain that he was more he was more sort of falling back to the mean and the but fact that he still got points despite that was I think quite an impressive result, even if maybe he could have raced harder. I think that's the thing, though. I think if he'd if he'd put in a, almost a better defensive effort and tried to keep places, and obviously the car was was the problem, then then it would have made sense. But I think the just almost the lack of intent he showed at points, probably because of the car and because he knew the car wasn't good enough, and maybe it was Alfa Romeo saying that these are these are not the guys you should be fighting. These guys are much better cars. They're going to mm. get past you anyway. Save your tyres, save the engine, get points at the end, whatever it might be. And maybe that was the case. But I would have just liked to see a little bit more intent, even just sort of defending for a few corners and then realising, OK, fine, I'll let them go now. They've, they've got my number. But just the problem that he didn't show any intent I w- I'm just disappointed by. It, I would, I would say. And his teammate uh, Joe Guan Yu qualified 12th and finished 13th, so he only lost one place. Yeah, he's fighting worse cars. So I, I, I think the Alfa Romeo is fantastic qualifying, and those drivers do actually yeah. get quite a lot out of the car. But yeah, the lack of intent from uh, from Bottas did uh, did show quite quite a bit. And then for Perez. Perez's pit stop. What was that all about? Red Bull never normally muck tho- those no, up, they do are they? Very good. They're normally very I mean, they slick. Did max last weekend as well. Yeah. I think yeah. Saying. And was that eleven seconds? Yeah, that was similar. unbelievable. Um, Wasn't there an instance where they had an issue? I think it might not be Mexican, but they had an issue with the um, wheel gun. Yeah, I think. I think so. Yeah. Produce enough torque so they had to change the whole wheel gun. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, they grabbed a different gun and had it. That's quite funny, actually. Reload the gun. Yeah. <laughs> put it. Put it back in. Uh, so. Ali, um, have you got any any moment or any driver that um, uh, deserves a Latifi award? I think we mentioned it briefly earlier in the show, but uh, with in a relatively lacklustre race where all of the major um, mistakes have already been mentioned, it's got. I, I'm going to give it to Charles Leclerc, mm. um, which is uncharacteristic because he has had a very good season, but to be to finish the race. Um, admittedly a very lonely race for both the Ferrari cars 10 seconds behind Carlos Sainz who is is uncharacteristically off the pace uh, for him this season and he looked like he didn't he wasn't really at it all weekend and that's you know disappointing for a man who will hold himself to such high standards yeah he was a minute well over a minute behind uh, what was five ten races ago his title rival Max Verstappen so yeah it wasn't really a good day uh, for Ferrari uh, so yeah I think that 
that is deservedly a Latifi award. Toby, we've been left at the end. So yes. have you got you got someone? Yes. Yeah. Well, have? so originally I was thinking. Well, I think Bottas is for me as well. Probably the the Latifi award. But I also thought special mention to the Haas team because <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think although the they've back. yeah that's the thing they are back at the back. They <laughs> qualified in um, P15 and 16, finished P16 and 17, including two drivers ahead of them. Um, not finishing the race and I think it was just the they are back almost where they were at the end of last year beginning of last year all of last year um, at the back of the grid with very little pace and, and not much really to go about I mean I think Magnussen last week had a had a decent race but other than that they've not really scored points recently Mick's arguably been outperforming Magnussen yeah. um, since what the out the tenth race, I maybe. I fully agree with that, and it kind of winds me up that Magnussen's got the seat and I Mick agree. hasn't yet at the moment. I, so I think, I'm I think a bit annoyed about that at the minute. Loyalty uh, that Steiner has with Magnussen because mm. he has worked with Magnussen. Pretty much, I think the only time that Magnussen hasn't raced for Haas was I think just last year and yeah. maybe the first year Haas was made. Yeah, and, yeah. and Steiner's obviously been in charge the whole time. Uh, I think first season it was Esteban Gutierrez in that car. I'm Alo- alongside Grosjean. Alongside Grosjean. Oh, okay, yeah. And then, but yeah, you I think you, pretty you much otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's he's a good driver. He's a very up and down driver. Man, so like he'll occasionally put an absolute world of a performance, yeah. get re- get a really high in quality, quality and, and start the grids towards the front, and then very easily. I think like last week he sort of not binned it early on, but just fell down the grid pretty quickly. He and hasn't rocked up the second half of the season, has he? Not at all. He, right, he no, was. But, as flying in the yeah. first half, he was up in the top ten multiple times, and then I don't, I, I don't Still think he scored. Break, I guess. Yeah. This is slightly yeah. characteristic of Haas, though, because of the way that they operate. They are, they do tend to be very good in a regulation change, but are not as the sort of equilibrium as the sort of hierarchy of um, of a team standings within a set of regulations becomes apparent. Um, they slowly and. Um, begin to whittle down the order because they're upgrading and they're sort of perfecting of their initial package mm. doesn't seem to be as strong as the other teams necessarily. Do we think that Mick is going to get that final seat? Uh, is it the William? Wait, no, 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 that, no, no, he, no, he, he can keep his seat at oh, oh, yeah. Um, well, uh, I, I'm trying to think who the other contenders are. Well, that's it's, what I'm trying to think. But it's Hulkenberg is pretty be, much... Um, yeah. It was a... Uh, Antonio Giovinazzi, yeah. but going on his performance, yeah. he binned it in free yeah, practice one the other. Happening. I don't, and he was so bad in Formula E as well. I, I, I don't yeah. think you gain anything by picking Giovinazzi. Like no. he's a similarly young driver, been in a similarly slow car with Alfa Romeo for a few yeah. years, and showed nothing. Mick, yeah. obviously, year, year one last year had the worst car on the grid by a mile. Yeah. Easily, think. yeah. Um, Absolutely battered his teammate, albeit it was Mazepin, so matters less. <laughs> yeah. um, but absolutely destroyed him. Like, he wasn't even yeah. close. Like, he outqualified him every time. I think outfinished him in every race that he finished. Um, I'd love to see Mick Schumacher in that seat again. I, I think yeah. he needs a bit of a chance. So, we were talking about it off air that he's taken two years in F- F3 and F2, but finished the second season first in both of them. And I think you almost have to think that last year didn't count because although. Yeah. It was in an F1 car. It was that car was so bad. Not, it, was it was almost not an F1 car. Yeah. That's how bad it was. And and I think that this year, particularly second half of the season, he's really shown that he is actually a good driver. Outperformed yeah. Magnussen. Yeah. I've been fairly consistent. Consistently, maybe what thirteenth, fourteenth. But considering it's their car consistent. is probably the slowest car on the grid, yeah. particularly well, other than Williams, yeah. particularly right at the end of the season where he's actually been looking better. I think he has a good chance. I'd say to yeah. to maybe in the next few years start to progress up the grid maybe if Haas Hopefully. can provide him with, with a decent with car with a good car yeah it is, it is quite short termist of Haas to do that especially when they are not really looking at um, the top two in Formula 2 uh, Felipe Drogovic and uh, Teo Porcher Porcher's the one hasn't had a great season was unlucky with reliability crashes that sort of thing but didn't kick on in the way that he probably would have been the favourite for this year's F2 Championship but the fact that they are that the options are these older these old time you know these older drivers like how long feasibly I look I love Hulkenberg as much as anyone I desperately wanted him to get a podium and yeah that's probably not going to happen in the house but like 
how long are those guys going to be around for? Hulkenberg's what, 33, 34? He's 35. I mean, what do you gain by picking Hulkenberg? I think, so the one thing I've seen that maybe be the option is that you sign Hulkenberg on a two-year contract and after those two years are done, he'll almost certainly retire and if not, Haas might like retire him and, and not continue. And then you hope that there's a new youngster they might be able to sign up that is better than, Mick. better than Mick. But then you can yeah. give Mick two years and then he might be better than happens. the youngster. Yeah, exactly. And see where, where you go with it. Because it might be you give Mick and one, maybe even a one year contract this year. Him and K Mag both run out of contracts next year. You can then see if Mick develops into a, a good driver, has then potential, and he could almost then be a team leader. Or you keep them both yeah. on for another year or two. And Mick is still learning from K-Mag before he can then hopefully lead the team in, in three years' time, two years' time, whatever it might be. Driver market's always very fluid. They'll be able to find somebody yeah. if Mick doesn't work out. But at the moment, there's not, there's not. maybe there are better options, but there aren't people who are so much better options yeah. that in the long run, it isn't worth sort of taking that gamble on Mick Schumacher and seeing if he does develop in the way that he has in the lower formulas. Yeah, if they bite the bullet for one more year, they don't really lose anything. And I think that if they decided to do that, but then not carry on with Mick, it's sort of That's like... what have you, one, yeah. yeah. The, I guess the, the only option would be, well, Hulkenberg is a better driver and will get more points, will finish higher up and get more money in the constructors. But it's but risky. It's, it's, it's risky. risky. Because he's not been in a car And like, also, he's time. not that... I'd say he's probably a similar level driver to to K-Mag mm. and K-Mag the second half season has got basically nothing out of the car so why would Hulkenberg do any better yeah. Hulkenberg is the same level as K-Mag in terms of performance and way exactly. better in terms of consistency yeah. I, I think Hulkenberg is probably a better driver for a for a bad car as well because like you hear these notions of drivers who couldn't really do it in big cars but when they're faced with a bit of a dog they deal with it I think the archetypal one was Fisichella who I I believe I read in Jensen Button's book absolutely wiped the floor with Button who went on to obviously be a champion where Fisichella couldn't because he could just get stuff out of what was an absolute dog of a Benetton in either mm. 2001 and 2002 mm. but but and I think Hulkenberg would be better than K-Mag for that which is probably a, a quality that's more valuable for us. But then again, you said it before, Toby, I think. I, I can't remember exactly who said it, sorry. But um, the loyalty factor that mm. Gunsteiner has, um, that's, that, that is something that will probably work in Magnussen's favour and make sure that Mick's the one who's... Yeah, that's that's why Mick's in the position and not Magnussen. Right I, think, I think so, yeah. Yeah, and the, the thing is... Uh, Magnussen was always sort of like nailed on before the silly season started, so uh, so that was a bit bit of a weird one I thought. Uh, but you see, he gets uh, he gets the loyalty. So yeah, Haas, we'll uh, we'll give an Latifi award for them for this weekend. Uh, now I'm actually going to go against what you said, Charlotte, for driver of the day, and say Pierre Gasly's little scrap with Lance Stroll deserves an Latifi award because it's, it's what is it his second or third penalty in a row? Or it's definitely second. Second maybe. in a row. It might even be third of the season. And I feel like it probably was avoidable for me. For me, it was silly. It was silly. It was silly. Um, yeah. And I think it was always going to get a five-second penalty. Uh, and after that, I think that was that was fine. So my award would go to that little incident, um, which I think is is that fair enough? I'd say so, I'd yeah. Say, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. I'll have that. It just <laughs> need a little bit of reassurance. Uh, we've got about uh, well, we've got four minutes left of the show, so we'll just uh, have a little bit of a talk, a little quick fire about what we, what's going to happen in the next two weeks. Uh, there's two left. We've got Sao Paulo in two weeks, and then Abu Dhabi after that. Um, how can people see it going? Can anyone see a different driver winning it other than Verstappen, or, or do we think no, it's going to be? I, I think unless Max has problems or does something really daft I think exactly he's matured so much that I think it's very unlikely for him not to to win the races for him to get 16 wins in a season then or the potential that is unbelievable it should be slightly caveated by the fact that the season's getting longer but yeah I do agree yeah I think if he wins all 16 I think only one driver would have a better win percentage and it was a guy from the 1950s or 60s who won 6 out of 8 races <laughs> which doesn't really count he's broke the record already as well for most points in the season yeah. Yeah, I was looking I was at this on Friday yeah. and we looked and he 413 was the previous mm. record and he's broke that already and he's still 2 races he's left he's on 416 isn't yeah. he yeah. Like I'd, yeah. I'd love to see a points per game 
comparison. <laughs> but that's the thing, yeah. Now we've got, is it 22 races this year or 21? Yeah, it was 22, 22 meant to be 23. And it's 23 next yeah. year. Yeah. I mean, if someone has such a dominant car, I reckon back in 2020, 2019, Mercedes, if there was 22 races, probably could have won 16. Oh, yeah, they probably. Could have yeah. That's, that's what I think. So it sort of puts it a little bit out of perspective. But I mean, uh, yeah, that's, that's it. What do people feel about Brazil? In terms of a race, entertaining-wise, is it better or worse than Mexico? It's better than Mexico, 100%. Yeah. Uh, if you looked at the previous Brazil races, where Pierre Gasly did, had a very, very good race, edging out, it was um, right at the finish line. That was really, really entertaining. Um, but overall, I think Brazil is, Interlagos is, is, a, is a good race. It's, it's a classic one. It is, yeah. I think, um, for me, it has to end the season. Agreed. I think, uh, I know there's a lot of money in Abu Dhabi, but... Surely the F1 can just take the medicine and go, look, we'll, we'll save a little... Well, we won't take money from Abu Dhabi. Would you take medicine for a billion or two billion pounds? <laughs> <laughs> it's true, it's true. Um, and they want to sort of be the big spectacular end. I mean, you um, think of the most iconic, obviously last year aside, because um, I'm not going to try and... I'm not going to make sure we never get an interview with Max Verstappen by <laughs> saying that Hamilton was robbed. But, um, we'll clip that up and then put out there. Send it off to him. That is so Ted Kravitz of you. Exactly. But you think of the iconic uh, season ending, in, at least in recent times, you can maybe go back to 89-90 with the Senna Prost thing in Japan, but you think of really iconic ending. You think 2008 um, is that Glock. You think um, 2009, admittedly, Abu Dhabi was after that because, but Button securing the title by romping through the field. Am I right and in saying think of 2012? Am I right in saying 20, uh, two, uh, 2007 as well, where Raikkonen won it by one point? Yes, that's, my calculations. That's a, yes, yeah. exactly, because yeah. Hamilton's gearbox yeah. failed went, for like yeah. a minute or something, and then came back into life, and it cost him the championship alongside the that driving into the gravel trap in the pit lane in Shanghai. That, I think that's my first ever F1 memory. But Mine yeah, was uh, Silverstone 2020 when Hamilton's tyres burst on the final oh, lap and yes. Max was chasing him down. Yes. Brilliant race. Cool. Mm. Uh, but to be fair, he did have a massive, massive lead uh, from Verstappen. Yeah, he, oh, which is which helped. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we are. Um, we're coming to the end of the show. Uh, it's been quite a long one today. Uh, not normally a quick fire 20, 25 minutes. So this has been a, a brilliant one, I think, for me certainly. Uh, thanks to everyone for coming on, and uh, we'll have this out as a podcast uh, as soon as possible, really, as soon as I can get it edited. Uh, so thanks for listening. Um, we'll be back next week with another uh, different podcast. Uh, but for a minute, go well and keep it your own. <laughs>